This is Plowing Forward with Chet Maslumin for the Lands at Hillside Farms. Today's guest at Orvictum is Ellen Ferretti, and I'll give you the litany of her background. Uh, right now, she's the executive director of the North Branch Land Trust. Formerly, she was the secretary of Pennsylvania Department of Conservation and Natural Resources, the director of the Brandywine Conservancy in Chad's Ford. She was a director at Pennsylvania Environmental Council, deputy secretary for Parks and Forestry, Director of Environmental Resources at Borton Lawson. Maybe I'll stop now. I mean, it goes on and on. The Nature Conservancy, uh, Westinghouse Environmental, Geotechnical, on and on. And uh, full disclosure, Ellen is one of my bosses. Um, so she's on the board of directors and lands at Hillside Farms. But today she's in the hot seat and not me. So, Ellen, you just took this job at the Land Trust, North Branch Land Trust precious local organization for us. And why did you do it? Honestly, it was a labor of love. So many, many years ago, I want to say the early 90s, we had moved away from the area to South Carolina for about two years. And when I came back, I went to buy apples at a local farm up in uh, Wyoming. And when I went up there, the, one of the two farms up there had been converted to a golf course. And around the same time, I happened to meet Dr. Ayers. And when I met Doug Ayers, we were talking just in general. He was just building the first Plains Animal Hospital Clinic, the old thing that looked like a trailer. And I mentioned, I said, what, what happened here? Things are changing so quickly. And at that time, he had just formed what was called the Back Mountain Regional Land Trust and talked about what it was and why they formed it. He formed that with Bill Cunningham and several other people in the area who were taking lessons from other conservancies and land trusts throughout Pennsylvania and nationwide on helping landowners protect their precious places. So I helped a little bit at that time. I started going to meetings of the land trust. They used to meet up at um, Hayfield House at Penn State. I remember when Linda Toma was first hired, and eventually I did go on the board of what was in the Back Mountain Regional Land Trust. So I had been away for five and a half years down in Chad's Ford, Pennsylvania, and when this position became available, honestly, it's a labor of love. I love Northeastern Pennsylvania. I love what the land trust does and what it stands for. And I'm just really, really happy to be back in this position. And it's a natural fit. I, they could not have found a better person uh, or a better qualified person as well. So, you know, take it away from environmentalists and tell us, like, just for the, the average person, my parents don't know what a land trust is. What the heck is a land trust? And that's a good point. I always feel I need to explain it to my mother and father. Yeah. So... Land trusts were formed for many reasons. Sometimes they're to protect places of your home that, and I say home in the general sense, maybe there's some precious natural resources there. Maybe there's a rare, threatened, or endangered species, a bird, a mammal, a fish, whatever. Sometimes it's just because somebody wants to conserve a family farm. Some people really get into conserving prime agricultural soils. For whatever it is, there's vehicles available to landowners to conserve your land. One of them is a conservation easement where the landowner would maintain ownership of the land and a land trust like North Branch Land Trust would place a conservation easement on the property so that in perpetuity, North Branch Land Trust would monitor the property and make sure that the terms of the easement placed upon it by the landowner were held. So as an example, if you placed an easement on your property, you'd maintain ownership of the property and you would have worked with us to create this easement. If you wanted two places on the property where a home could be built in the future, or if you said this forest must never be subdivided, that would go into the easement and our role is to uphold the terms of the easement. And do you see, and hear me when I'm asked, the way I'm asking, do you see the land trust as effective with respect to in perpetuity? What happens if the North Branch Land Trust goes away, but I preserve land with it? So those easements, we are an accredited land trust. And as an accredited land trust, 
trust, we would work with other land trusts to take over these easements. There's a network, there's a system in place, and that has been thought of. And another thing that was thought of is when you own fee lands, and we do own a couple properties in fee, we cannot or should not monitor ourselves. So another land trust would have an easement on our fee-owned land so that they can monitor us, so to speak. So the concept of in perpetuity, of course, land trust, something may happen in the future. We never know what the future would hold. But another land trust would take our easements and then, again, monitor and take care of them in perpetuity. So the land trust is standing in defense of the land, essentially, right? Standing in defense of the easement, yes. Of the easement. And then, so these land trusts, so I preserve land in the middle of nowhere. It's sort of like, so what? I mean, do you guys try to network land? Do you try to connect lands together that have connected ecosystems or from migration or anything? Or are these like little separate museums that we're going to see once we've paved the whole world? In the beginning, when land trusts were formed and, and Back Mountain Regional did the same thing, we were conserving little farms, little lands, little forests here and there. And that was what everybody was doing. And this concept, and we, we've all learned from each other how to do it better. And decades ago, the idea of connectivity came into play, whereby it is far more effective for the natural resources and effectiveness of land conservation to have larger blocks of land. So the wolf coming from the wolves coming from Canada to Pennsylvania somehow through a corridor of saved land, right? Something like that. Uh, that that's a larger scale of what I'm talking about. Yes, but when you have a piece of conserved land, if there's something special about that land, again, we have to look for conservation value. So it could be the conservation value of a forest. It could be a riparian area, a watershed. It could be prime agricultural soils. What is it special about this property? And if that specialness spans several properties around there, you want to expand the intent of conservation. Right. And then there's this other, not getting political in any way, but the whole thing, if you're worried about carbon and land trusts are preserving land and there's plants and there's fungi in the soil there, that's the other side of the carbon coin, right? So everybody talks about what you're burning, but what's taking the soil up, right? So is there that much mass of land where it actually impacts something like that? Preserve, not just in the North Branch land trust, but in land trusts in general. Oh, I'd say definitely. And a lot of what we do is a lot of what other land trusts do. Uh, Sometimes we purchase land and then flip it over to the Pennsylvania Department of Conservation and Natural Resources Bureau of Forestry. And that is managed for use by forestry. There has been tens of thousands of acres preserved in that manner. So we're not just conserving land with easements. We're also helping Bureau of Forestry conserve land in our state forests. You know, northeastern Pennsylvania, we have a large land mass of state parks. Ricketts Glen is, is beautiful and massive. Yes, it is. We are blessed with large game lands. So this this these conserved lands provide functions and benefits, not just carbon capture. We're talking clean air. We're talking filtering water. We're talking managing recreation, Everything. managing storage. Water. Recreation is huge. Uh, we know that workforce development, workforce retention companies look for outdoor recreation. It's called generally quality of life. All these things weave into Northeastern Pennsylvania's benefit. And you started touching on it, but if I'm land poor, right? I have a, a tenth of an acre and 44. That's what I used to live on, right? Why do I really care about preserving land? Like, why do I care? You know, why, why don't I see this as, okay, well, somebody was compensated because they had 500 acres. And I, why don't I look at it like they just made money somehow because they gave up their rights to develop? Like, how, how does it help me? The more land that is in conservation, well, we could talk about it in many ways. We could talk about it from, again, clean air. Clean air, cleaning the air by conserved land quite simply does, especially for us. We all breathe the air, so it isn't strictly on one piece of property that clean air is limited. We live in various watersheds in northeastern Pennsylvania. All of us have experienced flooding. So the more conserved land you have and the balance between conserved and developed land, 
the more water is being retained in the highlands on the undeveloped property. We all drink water, and in northeastern Pennsylvania, our water is either coming from a reservoir or an aquifer, and a lot of it is reservoir water, but it's all subject to filtering through the lands that it passes through. So again, conserved land does clean water. So why should you care? Because you're breathing the air and you're drinking the water, and you may or may not be subject to stormwater effects. And there's also not to be diminished the aesthetics. And I I go back to the pandemic. Many of us went outside to try to feel normal. The world was turned upside down. We went to onto trails. We went to our waterways. Sometimes we just took a long drive just to see green through woods. There is not to be undervalued value of beauty in our lives. So whether or not we live in it, we can enjoy it. Completely agree with that. We saw that at Hillside. We were more visited than ever. And it's almost like iPhones, the poison and the forest is the cure, you know, when it comes along those lines. I wanted to talk to you, though, in the previous conversation, we talked about this balance. Like, is there a pragmatic balance? We use resources, right? So then you'll have some people that'll say, well, the human population, be, you know, I don't know what they're going to do, incinerate us half of us, right? Then other people are like, no, we're going to clear cut the forest and we should take it. You know, God gave it to us. We should take every resource that we can have. I mean, what is the balance point with land use as it comes to conservation? Does that mean now I can't touch it? So I, I conserve land, but can I conserve it in a way where I could take trees? And then and then somebody who's in love with trees will say, well, you're tr- destroying the forest. And then somebody who's a scientist would say, well, not really, because new trees are coming up. And as they grow, you know, they're taking up more carbon than an old tree would. So like, is there, what's the balance or the position of the land trust with the sense in the sense of natural resources, even if it's not on conserved lands. I mean, what's okay? Well, that's a loaded question. So first of all, you know, there's two concepts, preservation and conservation. The true meaning of preservation is you don't touch anything. You leave it as it is. You preserve it. It's locked kind of in time. Well, nature is never locked in time. Nature is always morphing and changing. Conservation means a mutual respect and conserving each other. I prefer to use the word conservation. So when it comes to forests, uh, if we're talking about a, a legal easement, some of the older easements had verbiage in there where you couldn't cut a tree unless it was dead, diseased, or dying. We now know that that was misguided. Our forests need to be sustainably and properly managed by people who know what they're doing. And there are a lot of good foresters. If they are managed properly, we have regrowth. We have baby trees growing. A lot of the forests we're looking at now, you see no regeneration. You see no regrowth. There will come a time when that forest will die and there's nothing coming up in its place. Uh, There are various types of sound forest management and forest stewardship plans will get you to the place where you want to go. So land trusts more and more are looking for this sort of cooperative approach to achieve the balance and really asking ourselves, what is really best for the resource? What is the, what will achieve the highest conservation value in this case for a forest? And in many cases, because of the preponderance of invasive plants of various and definitely changing weather patterns and the need to have different age types of trees within a forest so that you always have a forest and it's a healthy forest. You know, we're, we're looking more and more to professionals in the field to say, help us help us figure this thing out about the best way to be. Yeah, we. I, I always looked at forests. I used to be think that you should never touch them. Why would you touch them? Who managed these 5,000 years ago? And, you know, nobody. People lived um, symbiotically in the forest. But it's that Europeans came in here in the 1800s and cut everything down at once. So I'm watching around me at the lands at Hillside Farms. And like everything's dying at once. Everything's from 1880 and it's just all coming down. So, so I hear that argument that there, there's, there's not a variety in age groups. 
And then we have, you know, our ash trees are gone, our hemlocks going away, and the whole world's becoming sort of one community. So things are getting killed by invasive. And then, so let me switch now to another, and this might be a little touchy. And again, it's not political. It's just trying to find the pragmatic balance. So when you get into fossil fuels, you get in the whole natural gas thing, which is big in our area. And then you get in these huge arguments. People want to kill each other. You know, you're poisoning the ground. Sometimes I look at it like, well, if we really do have the most stringent regulations and we're willing to use fossil fuels as a bridge, even if, you know, we want solar, we, we need the bridge, then we're willing to go on somebody else's land and let them do it because there's no regulations and it's cheaper. Like, what's the balance there? Or, or does the land trust not have a position on it at all? Or you personally? Like, what? And I'm not looking for you to necessarily have a definite position, but what are your thoughts on it? Or what have you heard, you know, in the world that's, again, pragmatic versus radical in either direction? Well, pragmatic versus radical is a very personal thing. Uh, you can find scientific arguments to bolster up either of those positions. Yes. I'll say this. So I, I really don't want to get into the weeds on that because quite frankly, land trusts are driven by their boards and these decisions are very, very, very tricky. But I will say this a long time ago, and it was around the time when the Marcellus Shale boom was occurring in Northeastern Pennsylvania. I had a conversation with Doug about this and I still remember one thing he said, and I believe it is true, that it would be best for everybody and, and it would be optimal for America if we actually had a plan and everybody bought into the plan. Therefore, like each individual company wasn't doing what they do for their shareholders or whatever, but there's actually a plan for America that really evaluated all those options that you just talked about and came up with best for us. That conversation is obviously going to change dramatically given the state of world affairs. Yes. But the concept of really thinking comprehensively about this rather than, you know, is it solar versus coal versus, maybe there's no versus in there. Maybe there's a way to come up with a plan that everybody can agree upon that truly makes the best sense for us. And maybe that plan weighs heavily on one source now, but as technology increases, we weigh on another another source. But at least if we all sat together and tried to figure this thing out strategically and comprehensively, in the end, I think we'd be in a better place. I, I think your answer is great. And and the, and the reason I ask it, it seems like, um, like a local community will be against extracting or whatever from their area, what they're using every day. And there seems to be some level of hypocrisy there because no matter how you cut it or where the sources are from, it's still happening, right? And it's well, now, we all live on the same planet. We That's do. Last time I checked. And that gets to something you and I talked about, and I actually put this in an article many years ago. We are all using energy. We are all using plastic. We are all using things. We are all throwing away things. We ourselves on an individual basis can monitor what we consume and how much we consume of everything. And you know, when you talk about these issues and things like climate change, these are big issues and they frustrate people, they frustrate children because it's so big, parts of us, I think, wants to turn off because we can't, we feel we individually cannot do anything about it. The thing we can individually do, though, is monitor our own actions. We can waste less. We can be strategic about what we buy, what we throw away. We as consumers can speak with our actions and we can be smart about it. I completely agree with uh, individual responsibility. It's, and, and then collectively, something happens because it's, it's interesting. People, you know, will take a certain position on whatever, but they're the biggest consumers and, and it all does come down to consumption of whatever. It could be food, plastics, clothes, anything. So just one more slightly controversial thing, and then we're going to get into specific work at the land trust. So 
there's this battle about invasives, right? So we have these invasive plants all over the place. They're here at Hillside. They're everywhere. So let's take Japanese knotweed. That's the easy one, right? So there's this there's this cycle of you know you you, you spray environmental groups, people that care. They spray this knotweed with Roundup or some variant, and then they hit it again, and then it dies. You know, I don't know what the pattern is. And then two years later, it's there again, right? Like I mean. Does that really work for our riparian buffer zones? And then now I'm like pulling on all the different things you've done in your life, not just the land trust. But that, does it work or is it just in vain and invasives now are indigenous and we just accept it? So um, there's an industry built around in- invasives, right? So you start wondering, is it about money or is it about the environment? I mean, what, like what's really happening, right? What's happening around us? Can we beat it? Or are we Japan now? Our, our role now is management. And if we, and if we stop trying to manage, and again, I'm no expert in this matter, but if we stop trying to manage, and that was the problem, one of the problems with the vases all along is they'll kill anything that would have been native. And when you have invasives, sort of, for example, in a stream bank, they not only kill anything that might have been advantageous to the stream bank, but they also start with their roots and everything, eroding the stream bank. So then you have stream bank erosion. There's a whole host of things that occur with invasives around waterways and forests, et cetera. A lot of people believe that in order to effectively at least beat them down, you do have to use some sort of chemical. I mean, there are strategic ways to do that. There are strategic ways to manage force. You know, if you're going to do some sort of a force management plan, part of that has to address dealing with the invasives because in the minute you have some sunlight, the invasives are going to come in first and that doesn't allow small trees to grow. So there are strategies that, again, professionals can point you to. I would imagine that the best course of action is to use the least amount of chemicals. Is it a futile attempt? I hope not, because right. they, we we have to keep on trying. We just have to keep on trying, but there's more and more invasives, not just plants, insects. There's more and more things being introduced into our environment. I don't think we can give up, but I do hope that there's an equal amount of research being put into mechanical management versus chemical management. Right. And I don't know that that is true. I mean, places like Penn State and Cornell are on the cutting edge of all of this. I just don't know if they're actually looking at ways to do that. The cost benefit is worth it, but there's no doubt. I mean, one plant can affect the whole value chain or food chain and affect a lot more than, than the square foot of land that they take up. Plenty of animals. And so, so I get it. Um, for some of these things, there's almost... You just do your best with what you have and hope it gets better type of thing, you know, but at least we care. Um, so let's come back to Earth, otherwise known as the North Branch Land Trust. Sorry, but with your impeccable uh, pedigree, I had to ask you some some tough questions there because you have very vast experience. Any exciting new projects at the Land Trust? Anything on the horizon? Well, you know, I'm only there since November 15. <laughs> That's long enough. you got to know something. <laughs> um. One of the things we are working with Pennsylvania American Water Company at the Huntsville Reservoir is trying to put a conservation easement around a great deal of the reservoir and it would be of the highest protection area. Pennsylvania American Water Company has been a great partner. They're committed to making this happen. We're going to be seeking funding for this easement and PA Water is also in with matching funding. So again, I can't say what a, how wonderful it's been to work with them. If this occurs, it's... Uh, protecting just absolutely gorgeous natural areas that are highly sensitive. And there would also be a part of that that would be open to public access. So that's exciting. And But that's that's ongoing as we speak. We are still in contact with 
many, many private landowners are trying to put easements on their, they would like to donate easements on their properties. Again, we can't be all things to all people. We are a very small group. We're actively working with a few and evaluating whether or not they would fit within our our protocol. I mean, going back to your previous question, we can't nor should we take islands. (laughs) Small islands. Small islands, unless it's a big island, then that's another question. Yes. Uh, We are still actively working with entities like Earth Conservancy and the DC Earth Bureau of Forestry, um, looking at ways to preserve more land. And we we are blessed in the Pinchot District here locally with a lot of great forest lands. And these are an actual absolute benefit to to our community, I believe. So those are longtime partners of North Branch Land Trust. We're also still working on completing our section of the Delaware and Lehigh National Heritage Corridor Trail. And I'm a bit directionally challenged, but eventually that trail will end up in the Seven Tubs Nature Area. Again, nice. parcel owned and managed by DCNR Bureau of Forestry. It's not done yet. We're still under construction. We've got some things that we need to take care of, and we still need to start construction on part of the trail. But that trail would connect uh, Wilkes-Barre eventually to Easton, and a lot of people have taken advantage of those parts of the trail that are already open. Uh, you know, we that is, that was a bit of a stretch for North Branch. That is a, a large paved trail, a very key corridor in um, eastern Pennsylvania, and. We do have a couple of preserves, fee-owned properties, and we've been looking at ways to open up small paths in those as well for people to get out and walk in nature and enjoy. But that'll be more of a nature path and, and you know, quiet place to enjoy the birds and uh, just have a, a new place to walk and enjoy. Well, that's quite a bit. And you, so you certainly re-answered the question of why anybody else should care. Um, I'm somewhat aware of the, um, the Huntsville project with Pennsylvania American Water Company. And I think it's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful land. And for somebody like me, you know, I, as far as people that um, consume too much, I do have a boat. I love to fish. And the reason why you need a boat is everything's privatized. And when you open places like this to the general public, you allow everybody to share in what's around them and their natural resources. And you do a beautiful job at the land trust. And I know you're going to take it to new levels. And thank you very much for being today's guest. Thank you, Chet. Thank you.